And now, as a beloved and a forgiven people, let us hear with our hearts and our minds and our ears our gospel reading for today. Today, we are starting our sermon series on stories of holy resistance, which I think is a fitting way to start on this Sunday before Labor Day. This is a holiday that is the result of holy resistance of those who recognize the need for workers to be respected and honored for the work that they do. And so let us start our series today with this story of an encounter between Christ, between Jesus, and a Syrophoenician woman. So our scripture reading today is from Mark 7, verses 24 through 30. I am reading from the Common English Bible Translation, but as always, I remind you to hear this or follow along in the biblical language that best connects you with God. So once again, let us hear from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. An immigrant's daughter is delivered. Jesus left that place and then went into the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know that he had entered a house, but he couldn't hide. In fact, a woman whose young daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard about him right away. And she came and she fell at his feet. The woman was Greek, Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged Jesus to throw the demon out of her daughter. And he responded, The children have to be fed first. It isn't right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. But she answered, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Good answer, he said. Go on home. The demon has already left your daughter. And when she returned to her house, she found the child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. These are the lessons of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is not an easy story. Jesus gets called out for his stuff. And this is the first week in our sermon series, Stories of Holy Resistance. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to hear about moments of holy resistance. Moments of pushing back, of talking back, as they are chronicled within our scriptures. Did you know that talking back is part of our tradition? It's allowable. And the question I've gotten as I've talked about my plans for this particular series with folks is, well, why are we doing this? Well, it's because I believe that our scriptures are meant to challenge us and to encourage us to be and do better. Each book is filled with moments that are intended to make us uncomfortable, but also to feel comforted that we're not alone when we struggle to do the right thing. And they're also meant to inspire us to do good and to do it well. 
and to encourage us to live out our faith in our own lives in a very real and transformative way. Because that's the hard part of being Christian. That's the hard part of this being Christian thing that we do. Because it's not enough to just simply come to church online or in a building. It's not enough to come once a week and then not engage the scriptures and their lessons beyond that one hour that we're here. Amen? Amen. It's about fully incorporating these lessons into our everyday lives. Which is why I believe it's important for us to really engage these stories of our faith, to really dig deep into them in order to challenge our own beliefs, our own understandings of the scriptures, and how we in turn can then practice what we believe. Practice what we believe in a world beyond the doors of our sanctuary or our homes even. And that's why we're doing this kind of series. That's why we're looking at moments of holy resistance throughout time, because that is what our world needs right now. People who will push back. People who will take the time to think about what they think they know and believe. People who are willing to resist. We need inspiration to resist that which is death-dealing in our world and inspiration to embrace that which is life-giving. Amen? Amen. This is what our nation and our communities need right now, what we as a people need right now, as we try to figure out what it means to be church in this peri-post-pandemic world. We need to know and to learn and to understand that it is not just our call, but it is our tradition to stand against anything that does not affirm the sacred worth of all God's children. And to do it even when we feel small or scared or confused as to what holy resistance can accomplish, especially when we feel the least qualified or the least able to make a difference, or when we're having difficulty when we're having difficulty relating to the experiences of folks we don't know or can't easily identify with. And this week's scripture reading is one of those examples. So for a moment, I want us to imagine that we are a fly on the wall and that we are there hearing this moment between Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman. And let's look at what is both said and equally as important, what is unsaid in this exchange between the two of them. Now, in our Bible, in our Gospels, there are actually two versions of this story, of this moment. There's the Mark text, which is what we read today, and then there's also the account found in Matthew. And each of these accounts offer details which give us a more complete picture of what is happening, and so I encourage you to read the Matthew text as well. But some of the things that we know from this passage in Mark, because we know Mark is very to the point. It's the oldest gospel. It's the one that many of the other gospels are based upon. Straight and to the point. We love Mark for that. He speaks to our little New England hearts, doesn't he? So we know that in this text, Jesus is exhausted. How many of us know that feeling? Jesus is exhausted. 
He has been preaching and teaching and working. He's been on his feet. He has been healing and he is tired. And the scripture says that he's retreated to someone's home and he does not want anyone to know he is there. For me, that's the equivalent of hiding in the restroom and playing Candy Crush and not telling my children, I see some heads nodding, and not telling my children where I am, although the pug always gives me away because she sits in front of the door. How many of us have ever felt so beaten up by the week that we just want to sit someplace quiet and not have anybody bother us? Amen. Amen. Carol's like, yep. Been there, done that. Jesus is exhausted. He needs to take a moment. He needs to fix his face. And he needs to just take time out. And when you read the chapters leading up to this moment, we know that he's just traveled to this place called Tyre after a long stretch, as I mentioned before, of preaching, teaching, healing, all without a break. He's tired. He needs some time to center himself and take a breather. What better place to go than somewhere completely out of your context where no one knows you? See, we have to keep in mind that Tyre was a Gentile town. It wasn't a Jewish village. It wasn't a Jewish community. It was a Greek town. It was not a Jewish settlement. And so I imagine that Jesus saw this as a perfect place to go for that reason. Nobody would be following him around, or so he thought. And so he went across a large body of water to get there. And he even gave instructions that he was not to be bothered. But this woman, this woman, she didn't listen. You see... She had a child who was sick. She's not going to listen. Scholars who have studied this passage believe that the child may have been suffering from seizures or perhaps experiencing some kind of mental distress that was not fully understood at that time. But this mother knew that her baby was not well. And she was not going to take no for an answer. Her baby was not well. And remember, this is during a time when it's wildly believed that illness or possession are the results of some kind of sin or character flaw, either the parents or the child's, which meant that folks in town would have been scared of them, would have been scared of this little girl, would have wanted them to just go away. Or maybe, maybe they needed to go and figure out what they had done to deserve this and then take it upon themselves to try to fix it because it was their problem, not the community's problem. And I imagine that this woman was at her wit's end, trying to cure her child, finding that nothing had worked, finding herself turned away time after time, person after person, living in a society that made them a pariah, more than likely didn't helping, not helping the situation to be treated that way. It meant that this woman and her family, this woman and her sick child were invisible. 
that they were an issue to be discussed, not people to be loved. Even to those who may have been inclined to be more generous or helpful, they would have been unaware of the situation because they would have been hiding from their community. And it is possible that everyone knew who they were, they just didn't know it. They just didn't know how to help. So, she hears about this Jesus guy. This guy who shows up in town. This guy normally has a group following him because of the amazing things that he is able to do. She hears about him because even though this is not a Jewish town, the town isn't so far away from Jewish settlements that word of Jesus hasn't traveled. She's heard of him, and she knows what he's been able to do. She knows that he is a healer. She knows, and she is desperate. She has tried everything. Nothing's worked. And so she needs to do something bold. She needs to do something big. So she goes into the house he is at. She barges in. She throws herself at his feet, and she begs him, begs him for help. And tired Jesus is tired. And who does this woman, who does this woman think she is coming in here like that? Barging in after he's told everyone he just wants to be left alone. And here she is. And on top of it, she's here alone. She's here alone, a Gentile woman with a Jewish man. This isn't right. She should never have approached him. Or she should have at least approached him differently. And the truth is, this very human moment of Jesus's, he's kind of mean. Jesus is kind of a creep. He is not nice. The human Jesus snaps at her. He insults her, suggesting that what he has to offer isn't for people like her. Now, some scholars have written that perhaps this is a back and forth banter, that Jesus is waiting for her. He gives her this awful response, and he's waiting for her to come back with the right answer. Scholars who've studied the Matthew account have even suggested that he uses the cutesy term for calling her a dog when he addresses her, you know, to kind of soften the sting. But in truth, I believe that Jesus forgot himself for a moment. And how many of us have been there? I imagine that this is a result of the human Jesus being tired and not taking a moment to fix his face, not taking a moment to see the whole picture of what's happening here. And the reality of it is, is that yes, Jesus had moments where he was not nice because he was tired and he was burnt out and he was exhausted. And how can we expect ourselves to be any different when even Jesus had those moments? Amen? Amen. So stop beating yourselves up because even Jesus had moments. And so Jesus is like, 
Why should I give to the dogs what I have saved for the children? Dogs are even lower than children, children who had no value at this time. And what does the woman say? (coughs) She says no. She resists. She resists his attempt to push her away, and she says yes. But even the dogs will take the crumbs that the children leave behind. You see, she is at the end of her rope. She is not going away. She is pleading for help after what we can assume is years of trying to do it on her own. She is doing the only thing that she can. She is demanding any kind of mercy and grace, any kind of kindness, no matter how small or insignificant it may be. And Jesus... Even Jesus takes time to step back. Even Jesus takes a moment and reevaluates his response, takes the time to assess the situation, and he finds that he cannot but help this woman. He cannot do anything other than help her. This woman whose plight she has laid out right in front of him, a virtual stranger. And Jesus changes his mind. Realizes that maybe he made a mistake. Jesus responds by healing her daughter. And when the disciples, later on, chastise him for it, and offer to send her away because she is clearly bothering him, Jesus then stands up to them and says no. How many of us, right here, right now, are tired? How many of us are exhausted, feeling broken, How many of us see what is happening all around us in our world and feel completely fatigued? How many of us have judged the way others express their anger or frustration publicly? Because they too are tired. How many of us have at some point thought about the right or wrong way to express our own frustration with the world or our own situations, only to be told to go away, only to be told to be quiet. How many of us have sought assistance and have been told this is the wrong way to get what you want? And how many of us, because we're so tired, have also been afraid to stand up for what we know we deserve, never mind for others to have their worth recognized as well? How many times have we been turned away from opportunities, opportunities to become whole and thrive because of situations we have no control of? 
And how many of us have been the tired Jesus, just wanting it all to go away? Not wanting to address it. Not wanting to deal with it because we are so tired. And in turn, how many of us have been the Syrophoenician woman? Pushing back. Pushing back in the only way we know how. Now for some, resistance looks like protest. For some... It means publicly stating that black lives do matter, that queer lives matter, that indigenous lives and brown lives matter, that immigrant lives matter, that our lives matter. Sometimes resistance looks like coming behind those that protest and speaking out that hurt lives matter, oppressed lives matter, and our response matters. And that is where we are called to be like Jesus. We are called to be like Jesus in those moments where we are tired, in those moments when we respond in a way that is not so loving or accepting, and to take a step back. In those moments where we accuse others of being too loud or pushing back too hard, we need to take time to step back, to really look at what is happening in our world, to really look what is happening in our internal worlds and the worlds outside our homes and our sanctuaries, to take a step back and look at what is happening in front of us to resist, to resist the urge to tell people how to resist. And yes, to also ask for forgiveness for not paying attention the first time. That is that repentance piece. You've heard me say it before that repentance is about a radical change of mind, taking a new path. That asking of forgiveness and repenting of the places where we have left things undone. That radical change of mind and path, that's what brings us to working together, to setting aside those moments where we feel like we cannot do anything and so we just want people to go away, and instead working to bring wholeness and justice to the world. That is a moment of holy resistance. To seek the ways in which we can heal and be healed. To take the time to learn more about circumstances that have brought us all to the place we are now, whether personally or in society. Moments of resistance, like the Syrophoenician woman asking tough questions, responding to pushback, in such a way that we allow ourselves to benefit from and move to change systems that seek to push people away. We do it by leaning into the examples of our faith, the examples of the Syrophoenician woman who pushes back and the example of Jesus who recognizes the places where he went wrong 
and does differently. By leaning into these examples, we're able to respond with mercy and love to those moments of brokenness in our world and seek to find ways to affect change in the best way that we can. Let us embrace the spirit of that woman. Let us embrace the spirit of Jesus who took the time to listen and reorient. Let us do that together as individuals and as a church. Let us find our moments of holy resistance this week, the places where we can push back, we can talk back, and we can experience change. May we do it together with God's help for both others and ourselves. May it be so for each and every one of us. Amen. Amen.